Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. Please take a moment and open your Bible. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your, Lord, to your word. For my eyes have, been, have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd now like to invite Minister Pat up, who is going to be sharing in our series, The Waiting Room. Today's sermon is titled, Waiting to See. Good morning, Crossbridge. Last Sunday, we began a new sermon series to mark the start of the Advent season. We've entitled the series The Waiting Room because it's something we are all familiar with. Modern American life has aggravated not only how busy we feel, but also how we experience waiting in our everyday life. Waiting can be routine and unremarkable, like waiting to be picked up after school. Or it can be periodic and painful, like waiting at the RMV for them to call your number. But whether you're waiting for a seat at a trendy restaurant, or waiting for an acceptance letter, or waiting to hear the result of a surgery, our experience of waiting can leave us feeling inconvenienced, perhaps anxious, maybe even a little afraid. Our passage today is about the most extraordinary baby dedication in all of history. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35 tells the story of a senior citizen who dedicates an infant. And while he's holding that baby in his arms, he turns to the parents 
And he says, and he gives them shocking news. Although the Bible tells us that they received that news and they marveled at it, I think most parents would have said something like, uh, Sir, please give us our baby back. Simeon is a great story. But Simeon isn't one of those names that we find on a list that's associated with the Christmas story. And that's why I like it so much. And I'm hoping today it will change your opinion about Simeon. I think Simeon captures the true spirit of Advent. He's waited a lifetime for consolation of his people Israel. His one goal is to see the promised Messiah. And when the Holy Spirit had preserved his life to see Jesus Christ, Simon declared, mission accomplished. I'm ready to die in peace. Now, Simeon's story reminds us that God is at work even in the midst of waiting. It reminds us who we are waiting for and how to wait We'll see that as we learn more about three things. Godly parenting, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and what Jesus came to give the world. But first, would you join me in prayer? Our God in heaven, bless your word now and reveal your salvation, light, and glory. Your ways are mysterious and your glory can be hard to grasp. So reveal to us how we may live and walk in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, the blessing of godly parents, verses 21 to 24. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he was laid in a manger. Because his earthly parents loved the Lord, Mary and Joseph took their faith seriously. And the best way they knew how to love God was to obey God by following the covenant law closely. That meant, according to Genesis chapter 17, they were to have their infant son circumcised on the eighth day. There would be no exception, even though this is the Son of God. Like every newborn Jewish boy, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day according to God's covenant with Abraham. Now, the day of circumcision was also the day that the boys got their names. Joseph and Mary named him Jesus, not because they chose that name for him, but because God directed them to give him that name. Now, the name of Jesus is the Greek form of a Hebrew name, Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Now, isn't that an appropriate name? Since Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and by that name, everyone could understand Jesus' mission as the Savior to the world. Jesus is the Son of the true and living God, and though he was the King of kings, he was not born into a royal palace full of servants or have an expensive crib. He was born into a poor family. See, Jesus lived a life of poverty to make us spiritually rich. Apostle Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9. Now, as a parent, wouldn't you want your child to be surrounded with many opportunities? I'd expect that you would want to choose a safe and a comfortable place. But God placed his only son into low circumstances. God did not look for a wealthy or an influential family to raise his son. He chose Mary as his mother and Joseph as a father figure. Luke emphasized that Joseph and Mary were serious about following God in God's ways. For them, that meant keeping the law of the Lord. It meant living a life of prayer and of devotion to God. Now, Jesus was raised by godly parents. And if you have Bible-believing parents, then you should thank God. But if your parents don't yet follow Christ, pray that they will meet Christ. By their obedience and love for God, Joseph and Mary show us the wisdom and value of teaching our children the way of the Lord. It is literally the best thing that we can give to our kids. If we love God by obeying God, he will bless us. He'll bless our children. He'll bless this congregation and even this nation if only we will put God first in our lives and first in the lives of our children. Second, Simeon was a man that was led by the Holy Spirit, verses 25 to 27. Since the beginning of his gospel, the author of Luke has already introduced us to several righteous people, such as Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. In chapter 2, the author mentions two other godly individuals, Simeon, whom we'll talk about today, and Anna, and we'll talk about maybe another time. But Simeon, as we know from the Bible, was righteous and devout and was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does consolation mean? Consolation means comfort. Now, most people are seeking and waiting for some form of relief or blessing, like a graduation, maybe a marriage. Some are holding out for their dream job or maybe a dream vacation. But not Simeon. He's looking for something different. He's waiting for his nation to be comforted. Simeon is waiting for a Messiah to deliver the nation from its misery under the occupation and oppression of Rome. He looked for the one promised by God who will bring relief, deliverance, and salvation, not just for himself, but for his nation. And how did he come about such an ambitious vision? Luke says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit spoke to his spirit, assuring Simeon of what he had hoped for. And the Holy Spirit enabled him to perceive and to believe. With spiritual vision, Simeon was able to see and believe the spiritual reality of the promised Messiah. And isn't that the biblical definition of faith that we find in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Faith is the assurance 
of what we hope for and the conviction of what is unseen. By faith, Simeon believed that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And although he would not see the Messiah's ministry, nor his death, nor his resurrection, God blessed him to see the infant Messiah with his own eyes and to hold the Christ child in his own arms. And led by the Holy Spirit, Simeon entered those temple courts and encountered baby Jesus at that very moment. Now, to most people, this baby would have looked just like any other baby, but not to Simeon. To Simeon, Jesus was anything but typical. God revealed to him that this was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior for all people. And it's at this point that we are reminded of the Holy Spirit and his ministry. He gives us holy desire to live a holy life. He opens our eyes to see what God is doing. He gives us holy vision to see God at work. It reveals the Messiah. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Third, the prayer of Simeon. Now, in these verses, 29 to 32, are the words of a song named Nunc Dimittis which is Latin for now dismiss. While holding baby Jesus in his arms, Simeon prays God, singing, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's song is actually a prayer to God, whom he ascribes as the sovereign Lord God. The words praise God for keeping his personal promises to Simeon. His praising God for keeping the national promises to Israel and the cosmic promises to all humankind. Simeon was ready to die in peace because he saw with his own eyes the Messiah and in his prayers, Simeon prophesied three things. That Jesus would bring to the world salvation, light, and glory. Now let's spend a few moments on each of those. The first word of prophecy is salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Luke had already addressed the topic of salvation several times. In chapter 1, verse 47... Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior. And also in chapter 1, Zechariah um, called Jesus the horn of salvation, verse 69, who brings salvation from our enemies, verse 71, and brings the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, verse 77. In chapter 2, the angels declare to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, verse 11. Indeed, salvation is made available to all humankind through Jesus Christ. And later in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter declared, There is no salvation in no one else, 
There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Truly, salvation is good news for all people because salvation is what we all need. You see, those who think they don't need salvation not only fool themselves, but end up making God a liar. Blessed are those who recognize their need for salvation and who place their faith in Jesus. Now, the second word of prophecy is light. Simeon said, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32. This was foretold hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah, who wrote, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. That's Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. And Jesus' role as light is not only to draw people to himself, but to shine the light of his salvation throughout all of his creation. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says later in chapter 49. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. And note, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's verse 6. The world may be filled with death and darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. Apostle John assures us, writing, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus is the light who leads us out of any kind of darkness. We can help those walking in darkness by inviting them to come with us as we draw near to the light of Jesus. Some here this morning are here because you were invited by a friend, a coworker, a classmate, to a worship service or some fellowship event. And if we are unable to bring them to the light of Christ, we can bring the light of Christ to them in a world of darkness where it seems some people like the darkness. Shining your one single point of light can make a difference. So what does it mean to shine? Let me briefly mention three ways. First, be countercultural. This means rejecting the habits of a world of deceit, hate, and of confusion. In Romans chapter 13, Apostle Paul tells us to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. That's verse 12. And in a world of sensual sensual indulgences and selfish gain, we Christians are commanded to live differently, to put on Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires, verse 14. Second, put yourself out there. Be authentic. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, let your, shi- let your light shine before others. And just as no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but instead puts that light on a stand so it can illuminate things around it, 
We are to be a light and to the people around us. But this is only possible if we commit to engage with people and cultivate relationships. And thirdly, in addition to being countercultural and being authentic, remember to regularly point back to the true source of light. After Jesus said, let your light shine before others, he went on to elaborate. We are to shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. Now, there are times when we will shine with the light of Christ. But there will be other times that we function more like mirrors where we reflect the light of Christ so that others can see themselves in that light of Christ. But no matter what we do, our goal should never be to exalt ourselves, but to glorify God. And so the third prophetic word in Simeon's prayer is glory. Now, glory has come to Israel since the Messiah and Savior of the world has come to the world through Israel. Glory is also the sign of God's presence. Now, we saw the glory of God fluttering, hovering over the waters of creation in Genesis chapter 1. We also saw the glory of God descend on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. We also saw the glory of God fill the temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. Just as the Jews enjoyed the glory of God dwelling with them, the Son of God now is in bodily form dwelling with us. And so Apostle John wrote, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, Paul wrote, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, Simeon's prayer left Joseph and Mary stunned. And after Simeon blessed them, he stunned them yet once more, and this time with prophetic painful words directed to Mary. Verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Because Jesus has salvation, light, and glory, we assume that many people will rejoice and follow him. But that was not the case then, and it's not the case today. People still love the darkness. They retreat into it, imagining that the darkness will cover over, conceal the evil thoughts and their activities. Rather than turning from evil and drawing near to light, sinful people are prone to anger 
and rebellion against God. Much like children who become upset when they're confronted, corrected, or disciplined. Today, we thought about the importance of godly parents. We also considered um, what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. We learned especially about Jesus, who came to bring salvation, light, and glory to all who would receive it as good news. But I want to leave you with this. What a feeling it must have been for Simeon to hold the Creator in his arms. Simeon personally and literally in this instance received Christ's child into his arms and received him into his heart. Simeon arrived at that point by no mere accident. He waited. He expected and he received. Simeon saw what others could not. He understood what many still don't understand. It's not enough to merely know God through a Christian parent, a friend, a spouse. One day when they're in heaven, where might you be? Simeon was determined and he set his priorities right. He felt compelled to receive Jesus before he felt ready to die. After picking up baby Jesus in his arms, he said, Now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. After death, none of us will have the opportunity to repent. It will be too late. The opportunity, the window of opportunity will be shut. In the grave, no sermons will be heard and no gospel be shared. Simeon was ready to die no sooner than he, than he received salvation. You cannot know or plan when you will die. Today may be the opportunity that you've been waiting for, the chance to see Christ and receive salvation. Now, we celebrate Advent to thank God for the birth of Christ, his first coming to earth as a baby. We celebrate Advent to rejoice Emmanuel, God with us through his Holy Spirit. And we celebrate Advent in preparation and anticipation of the next Advent. That will be his final coming at the end of the age when Christ returns, not like a baby, but in power and glory in, and visibly and personally as judge and king. May you all be willing to wait for him. And when he comes to you, be willing to hold and receive him. Let us pray. Oh God, our most loving Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and for your salvation that allows us to have a personal relationship with you. Thank you for the light of your Holy Spirit who helps us through the toughest times and strengthens us for your purposes. In your mercy, may you give us humble, earnest hearts to seek Jesus more and more and to follow him faithfully and fruitfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.